Jaspreet Bopperai and Don Nicholson with Greenwashed on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Hello and welcome back to Greenwashed with me, Jaspreet, and my co-host, Don Nicholson. Thank you so much for joining in. Our number to text any messages is 2057 and our email address is inbox at the rate realitycheck.radio. Now, we're very pleased to welcome today Professor Jock Allison. I should say Dr. Jock Allison. Jock, thank you so much for joining me and Don. And for listeners... Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. For listeners, for I doubt there'd be a rare person, at least in rural New Zealand, who's not aware of Jock Allison's name. But I will just run through a brief summary, Jock. I'm sure I can't do you justice. But uh, Professor, I should... I keep forgetting. Dr. Jock Allison has got a bachelor's and a master's in agricultural sciences. I'm looking at the Living Heritage page on Lincoln University website, Jock, as I'm speaking, and there is quite a bit of work you've done there in Lincoln for a long time. You were the Bedislow medalist in 2003. You won a Commonwealth Scholarship and completed a PhD in Ag Sciences in Sydney University with a research project in the area of sheep fertilization. In reproduction. Yep, yep, reproduction. Yep, yep. And in 2000, you were made an officer of the New Zealand Order of Merit. Well, you've managed to pack that all in into your career and you're still going strong. Still living. Yes, well, for you uh... or not? <laughs> Yeah, look, he's a man of uh, great talent, Jasper, and uh, he is well known to New Zealanders uh, in the farming fraternity uh, for all the reasons you say. But um, I think, Jock, you've got an avid uh, interest in cricket and and rugby, a uh, bit of a link to Carrisbrook, maybe, or something like that. Oh, yes. Yeah, years ago, I drained Carrisbrook, I think, in 1985, I transformed it from a bog uh, into a beautiful playing surface. And... Uh, Subsequent to that, I was in charge of putting all of the turf into uh, the stadium, our new stadium, yeah. Well, there you go. So uh, a man of the land, you might say. He's been been there and done that. And, of course, um, he hit the headlines uh, at, at the attempt to close down Invermay about 2017. And you might just want to fill us into how, how that worked, Jock. Well, um, in, I, I in, earlier in my career, I used to be the... Uh, director of Infamay and had a total of 170 staff, about 140 of them were at Infamay. Well, uh, they got down to about 100 by 2017. I left there, in fact, uh, in 1986, a long time ago. Mm. But they were going to uh, transfer 85 people to Christchurch, which was totally idiotic. Uh, they had the, they were going to put the deer, deer program there. There were no facilities for deer. They were going to put all the animal breeding staff there. They had only a few acres for sheep uh, when most of the clients were in the southern South Island. And, in fact, um, I remember seeing a, uh, one of the young uh, geneticists there whose father-in-law was in, uh, in the foyer of the Needham Hospital, not a great place to meet, whose father-in-law was dying upstairs, and she said he's very worried about Invermay um, and the closing down. I said... You go up there and tell them that I'll fix it. Well, it only took me six years, but to the day, yeah. meantime, and uh, 
I'd have to say David Clark, our Labor MP, uh, was a great help. He was the only, although National were in power, was Stephen Joyce's bright idea. Um, Stephen Joyce managed to virtually stuff the structure of agricultural research in this country. Uh, but David Clark was a big help. And so has it has a lot of it still gone to Lincoln regardless or to that that campus around Lincoln? Is there a lot of uh, research and, and that sort of stuff gone there anyway? Uh, no, hardly any of them went. Uh, many of the good people left, um, but uh, there are many good people still there when we managed to turn it around. It was pretty mm. difficult, but we got there. Yeah, so yeah, that's part of our key mantra, isn't it, Jasper? Local sovereignty is is vital. You have you have something in place. Uh, the last thing you need is the destructive element elements out of um, the central planner's office. So good work, Jock. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I believe I heard the words some somewhere today, and they've stuck in my mind. Not being a part of the Wellington weasels. Oh, yes, quite. <laughs> yeah. I did read that somewhere today, and I thought, well, it's not the sort of thing you or I could say, Jasper. We've never been that unkind. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, uh, when I left in May in 1986, a lot of my mates in the farming community said, what the hell are you doing? You've got this wonderful job. God. And I said, well, the only place I could go now is going to Wellington, and I'm certainly not going to Wellington as a bureaucrat. So I resigned and went on to other things. And yep. that's where, uh, Jock, you've not you've not been a career scientist. Your career path after you left uh, in 1986, you went on with various other activities, your own business, primarily with the importation of the East Frisian sheep breed to New Zealand. Yep. And there's many who regard that as, you know, infusion of that breed into New Zealand's flock as possibly the greatest advance in the sheep industry over the last 50 years. So possibly, I don't think it would be far-fetched to describe you as perhaps one of the single biggest contributor to improving the reproductive rate of New Zealand sheep. Would that well, be I had a small part of a small part of it, but it, it really made a lot of other people and other breeds try much harder, and that yeah. was good. But now uh, the East Frisians, um, the sheep milking industry is really getting going, and yeah. it's a pleasure to see it in the Waikato. And yes. we managed. We still managed to have um, about eighteen hundred embryos in liquid nitrogen twenty years after that program, which were part of starting up the sheep milking industry twenty years later. So, yeah, and on top of that, you um, brought in genetics to add uh, muscling into into the the meat breeds as well, uh, Texels, and I think you've now got Beltex. Uh, Beltexes, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So New Zealanders do New Zealand farmers uh, and New Zealand does uh, owe Jock and his and his colleagues a lot of um, lot of kudos for the for the work they've put into the industry. And so when we get onto the subject, we really want to have them here tonight to talk about. You wonder how the heck it got so rotten, Jock. Uh, you know how did the emissions uh, of of animals that are of no no consequence to anybody but the farmers who farm them um, get into the national psyche in such a way that they're supposedly frying the world. How did that happen? Well, um, it goes back to probably 19, in, in the late 1980s and certainly when there was a big upswell in, in world science which said that the world was getting warmer and 
the IPCC was formed about 1988. Uh, the Rio Earth Summit, 1992. Most of the world's countries signed up um, to supporting the IPCC, whose mandate was to only look at human-induced climate change. They decided then humans were causing the climate change. And in fact, this is all based on computer modelling. Um, I think I didn't I didn't hear Ian Plymer, who you've had on, wonderful man. He would have said somewhere in talking to you people, um, he doesn't know of one research publication which actually ties down carbon dioxide is, is causing warming. Well, I mean, our climate science group here, which uh, Don and I are members, uh, we've asked the Royal Society of New Zealand, who's supposed to represent New Zealand science, give us some publications which say carbon dioxide causes warming. Um, nothing. We have asked the head office of the IPCC, and they cannot point us to anything. And in fact, the IPCC itself wasn't very keen on even communicating with us. So, it, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a big uh, farce, really. But it's become a very, very expensive one because in 1992, um, human induced or anthropogenic global warming has become government policy. Uh, it's got really not a lot to do with the science. It is government policy. So all, all, most scientists are paid by the government. Most bureaucrats are paid by the government. Most research funding, or nearly all in New Zealand in this area, comes from governments. And from that time, 30 years ago, it's a huge industry. And trillions of dollars have been spent so on, on it goes, and yet methane has almost no effect, in spite of some of our scientists um, saying that it's produced up to up to forty percent of the world's warming. Incredible, isn't it? When oh. uh, when 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 that when that information's available, uh, and yet you sort of understand how, and Jasper and I have talked about this before, how the almost mass psychosis happens. Farmers who were alongside me in 2003 and fed farmers and uh, Jerry Eckhoff around the FART rallies, uh, subsequently have lost their uh, feeling for understanding that something was wrong. It was nonsensical at the time, but now all of a sudden, all of a sudden it appears, or slowly over time actually, it appears that many farmers have bought into the nonsense, even though now they know a whole lot more than we knew then. Uh, like, for instance, we know that methane cannot ever be a significant warming influence. It just can't be. It's an impossibility. Yep. But we've got those farmer organisations selling out. How do you how do you see that, Jock? Well, they sell, <clears throat> you sell out the government dollar. Many of those programmes are government funded. And, and governments uh, of various stripes have, have tried pretty hard to get the uh, the farmer lobby on side, and uh, I mean, uh, previous federated farmers uh, presidents have been put on government committees and been been paid to be on them. So once you're on there getting paid, you're not going to come out and say, "Well, this global warming that you're pushing is a load of crap," because you'll lose your positions. And that, in fact, your fact um, worldwide, um, uh, with those who have alternative views. Based on the best science and published science, etc., are uh, uh, ostracised and have been ostracised and eventually fired 
uh, lost their jobs, lost their meal tickets. And many of those have come out, have, in fact, haven't come out, as it were, in the new sexual, sexuality terminology, <laughs> come out, um, have come out after they have retired and their stipend can't be touched. It's pathetic, really, isn't it? It's a sad thing when people can't, uh, sorry, Jasper, uh, sorry for interrupting. Um, it's a sad thing when people can't stick to their scruples, their learnings, their knowledge, and hold it true uh, through their through their careers. But as you say, Jock, money talks and, uh, you know, people have put food on the table. It doesn't matter how they how they uh, earn it. And someone says, I can't do that. I, I can't do it. And I know you can't do it. Um, but personally, principles seem to be out the window on this whole discussion. And what I note too is that the diatribe that comes out of the state uh, sector on this, it's all pervasive. It's everywhere. Methane is methane and nitrous oxide, 48% of the New Zealand emissions profile. Uh, again, we know that's completely fallacious, but it's got into the national parlance and um how do you break it down? I mean, we know global warming potential is, is uh, one thing that's talked about, and you might want to explain that, but even that's fallacious. So how do we get back to reality is the question. Well, me. I mean, if you take these people head on and give them um, reference science, et cetera, you get a letter back from a bureaucrat or a scientist saying, well, um, the IPC is our basis for the science. Um and that's 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 the story. Yeah. So the IPCC is a disgrace. Yeah. So so tell me a little bit more about um, one thing that um, layman never understood is really what peer review mean it means. Um, is it is it as worthy as it once was? No, it certainly isn't. Peer review is uh, is is what is supposed to happen. Uh, in good science, you write a, a paper on a particular topic, and we used to do this at Invermay, in a way, before they were even submitted to journals, pa passed it round uh, various other scientists. We had review committees, and um, there's it, a few funny stories there, really, and people would tear these papers up and say they were poorly written, da-da-da-da. I remember one, one English scientist uh, just about wrote more on his papers than he, than he written himself. Who complained to the director about it, and the director said to him, "Well, does the paper come back in better shape than when you gave it to him?" And he said, "Well, well, yes." And he said, "Well, there you are, on your bike." <laughs> so, so peer review is supposed to improve uh, the writing of the paper. It's supposed to look at the science. Has it been analysed in a valid way? Are the results? Uh, statistically analysed, are they uh, are they not due to chance, and therefore can you conclude um, these are real effects? And but but it has become now um, owl review, and and all of this came out in the climate gate tapes tapes etc. Years ago, when a whole lot of stuff was was leaked uh, in terms of many many thousands of emails, where they're all looking after each other, and actively they keep out any research which says this isn't actually right. And if it isn't actually right, we haven't got a problem. If you can say that human-induced climate change is not a real thing, 
there's a huge industry absolutely worldwide um, which would collapse. So you can't have that. Doc, safe to say then you're not taking a flight next week to head to Auckland for the Michael Mann evening at the Wired I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I mean, my, the Michael Mann, who's still got courses, uh, court cases running all over the States. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. unbelievable. Yes. We are bringing him here, the inventor of the famous hockey stick. Now, it's been reinvented, as, that hockey stick. Uh, I'm sure it'll go through a million other avatars as long as there's a gravy train. And yes. talking of gravy trains, and Don was just speaking about how we've got farmer organizations, farmers themselves going along with this. Out here in Southland, we've got this group called Thriving Southland. They were given $9 million funding uh, by the government, MPI, uh, in 2020, so three years ago. These are groups of farmers who are further leading discussion groups within their catchments about how to become carbon neutral down here. And one particular one I looked at, because it caught my attention, carbon neutral Dipton. Dipton. We're talking of a one-horse town, carbon neutral Dipton. And it's it's pretty transparent out there. When you look at their website, it says that uh, we are funded under Thriving Change, uh, Thriving Southland Program and MPI. 92,000 being given for a period from December last year to this May about talking, discussing, thinking up exciting, innovative new ways to make Dipton carbon neutral. We are small, but we are mighty. Some days, I I just fail to understand, are these people actually deluding themselves or somewhere, some of, they actually believe that, don't they? Otherwise, how would they just yes. go along? Mm. Yeah. Let, me, yeah, let me just modify that a wee bit. I mean, some of the stuff, uh, climate change is hopelessly conflated with the environment. And people think by doing things in the environment, you know, all the things that we like, clean water and um, plantings, planting trees and things to improve the environment are doing something for climate change. It's really got almost nothing to do with it at all. Yeah. No. So, But all this carbon neutral and reducing emissions of CO2 and um, methane and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, if you say though, go more into metland, into wetlands, and to, which you're going to filter and improve water quality, you've you've actually got the problem that they produce more methane, which is supposed to be doing all the harm, which it actually isn't. Oh, uh, yeah, it's right? it's a big circle, but isn't it interesting yeah, how circle. Yeah. we want uh, you know those of us that study this stuff, and you know I've witnessed the output of people like Jock and others for fifteen years or more. Um, we now know, or people like me have to tell other people, more CO2 in the planet is a good thing. Uh, it isn't a bad thing. And in more fact, CO2 CO2 is a wonderful thing. Absolutely. Will Happer will say another one degree warming and double the CO2, we'd be in a much, much better place. Exactly. So, so that brings us on to the next question is about the massive spending in the Greenhouse Gas Consortia, the Global Research Alliances, and the like. Right. Uh, we started about 2008, or even before that, actually, the Pastoral Greenhouse Gas Consortiums. Yeah. Millions and millions have gone into it, and we keep coming up with uh, something's just around the corner, a methane reducer but we're, is just around the corner. But why? But why? But why? Well, 
Um, if we go back to the old days of the fart tax, that was about uh, 2003, Don, was it? It was, 2003. 2003, 20 years on, we've spent about $200 million. And can you name me a technology which is reducing emissions on farm? I'll give you one. There's a bit of good work done at Invermay where some work with cattle done by a scientist out there, good work, on terms of grazing uphill or downhill um, and not getting getting um, mud and stuff into the waterways, quite good work, but that's relatively minor. Um, there's a bit of uh, good work going on at Lincoln now with methane, um, but, but only for very minor it's stuff and uh, um, excrement in, in the cow yard. But, I mean, no, we haven't come up with anything much. There's something always, always just around the corner. I mean, we'll have a vaccine in five years. That was written about 2005. Well, now we're, we're 2023. We might have a vaccine in 10 years. So I think I think the uh, you know the finish line is if it's not staying where it is, it's going further away. Um, 200 million, not a lot to show for it. We've had lots and lots of conferences. We've gone and measured um, emissions in a few African villages and some things <laughs> and told them how to measure their methane which um, people have had lovely trips and lovely experiences, but it's done absolutely bugger all for us. And now Damien O'Connor and Labor government have come up with, wait for it, 350 million for a new greenhouse gas research centre to actually commercialise some of these technologies. We haven't got technologies to commercialise, but we've got $350 million and we've got Wayne McNee heading up the group. Well, he wasn't great as an MPI or, or LIC and, and various other people saying we're getting aggressive. We're really going to put the pressure on people to make these technologies work. Well, where are they? What are they? 350 mil. Great work if you can get it. 350 million. My brain just thinks that could employ a lot of doctors, nurses, teachers that we need right now. But it's almost like they don't really care. We are on a bandwagon. We could train a few more of them. I mean, our doctor-patient doctor ratios are appalling compared with Australia. Absolutely. Yeah. And looking at the budget now, Grant Robertson has recently released, it's the spending there, looking at this RNZ report, it says that we are going to spend something like $1.9 from our Emergency Climate Response Fund which can only and only be spent on emission reductions and, as of late last year, adaptation measures. There is money for the Green Bank uh, investment finance, another $300 billion. Well, we have, to, we have to adapt because yeah. we have had uh, some appalling weather, Cyclone mm. Gabriel. Mm. But to listen to these people, I mean, I mean Rod Carr, the head of the Climate Commission, was on the other day. And he was saying, well, see, look what happens when you breathe out, this sort of thing. Um, but, you know, that gets me on the, the database. They said it was the biggest storm ever mm. uh, in terms of how much rain fell and how low the pressure was. Mm. Well, there's some wonderful work from uh, Ian Wishart of Investigate. has been through uh, papers passed and all that sort of thing. Between uh, 1868 and 1890, there were four storms. Four storms as big or bigger than Cyclone Gabriel. 
Um, and so NIA was totally wrong. They don't have a decent database of previous weather events. They are funded millions and millions and millions, and there's nothing going on to fix it. And it's all of those databases in the past that we build uh, our policy on. So for just to that simple thing I told you about, um, a one in 150-year event, well, whoops, there are four of them there in a 22-year period, becomes a one in 25, 30-year event. So things become a bit different, and your policies change accordingly. We have to adapt. Mitigation is a complete waste of time. We've got to adapt to what the climate gives us. Um, um, we might has... get a little bit warmer, but if we get yeah. floods here and there, we've got to sort ourselves out and be resilient. We've got no option. And mankind has adapted, about... hasn't it? We have. Man has adapted throughout yeah. the, our time on Earth, through millennia. You had places like the Sahara, green up, dry up, get a bit more green again. It's like Well, that's uh... CO2 in the air, more mm. CO2 in the atmosphere. Exactly. More CO2 in the atmosphere is a good thing. There has been significant greening of the globe and all the Green Party and the Green Peace and the Green Every Other Thing should think that's quite good. Very good result. It's hard to believe that uh, when you when you say to people, and I used to say this in speeches, um, you know, you breathe out CO2. Um, if you're not, you're dead. And you couldn't even get a, uh, a laugh out of people. I mean, they take it so seriously. They really have been seduced into believing that CO2 is a pollutant. And I'm reading Greenpeace um, uh, output in recent days, and they talk about the um, methane madness uh, and uh, what else do they talk? Something about a, a climate storm. Interestingly, I've just had my insurance bill for this year for my farm and houses. Like with like, it's up 18.2% on last year. A third of it is uh, government levies and charges. Mm -hmm. And I'm starting to get a bit grumpy with levies and charges that go to fee, to to people to help people who have not taken care of themselves with their own insurances. Now, I know that sounds um, a bit arrogant, perhaps, but you know, I'm paying thousands of dollars a year now to, to that other side of the fence. And now we're talking about a managed retreat. Who's going to pay for that? My levies, your taxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, certain logic, Don, I'm following you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I so, mean, you know that green, green piece, I found out, yes, they're a charity. And here they are trying to close our dairy industry down. Uh, and that's one of their main pro pro programs. And that they should have that status removed. Oh, 100%, Jock. In fact, if I was in uh, heading into Parliament this year to be number one on the list, get rid of the charitable status for a lot of these places that are uh, have got that privilege. Uh, of yeah, course, I, right. I right. would that's lose right. it. Yeah. I would lose a bit of support, and I'm not standing for any political party, but... Um, I just think it's it's wrong uh, that they get this privilege. Uh, but anyway, so uh, what's ahead, Jock? We've um, we've been trying to get scientists out to New Zealand uh, to talk about this methane um, nonsense a bit more. Uh, what have you got on the on the on the horizon? Have you managed to nail anyone? Well, we've got uh, a guy by the name of Tom Sheehan um, coming out here. He's uh, um, going to be here for a couple of weeks. It's going to be at the National Field Days, um, the last two days, at the Groundswell Tent. So go along and listen to him. Tom Sheehan and I wrote a paper which was published in the 
Journal of the Institute of, of um, Primary Industry Management uh, five years ago now. No one took any notice. Um, absolutely incredible. I mean, the real thing, I'll just have a weird digression. The government, the bureaucrats, and most of the farming industry simply don't want to know that there are now very, very good data which say that the effect of methane and climate is only about a quarter um, of what it has been agreed to be in terms of payment. And the IPC saying that, and that science that says that is the basis of the new metric, GWP star. Um, but the latest science from that, I mean, I'll go skip that one. The government, the scientists, the bureaucrats are not even interested in what the IPC says about methane. Those comments, you know, it's overestimated three to four times, didn't make the policy for the summary for policymakers. So the bureaucrats and the politicians don't even know about it. And it didn't make the, the, the new synthesis report. Um, but the latest stuff that Tom Sheehan is, is talking about uh, is related to what's been done by two other scientists, uh, the most comprehensive climate physics um, ever put together and published says basically that um, in real air, all the climate modelers deal with dry air. This is a very important distinction. Dry air has got no water vapor in it. And to do that, it's much easier to do their experiments and do their models. They have they have water vapor which sits on the fence like Humpty Dumpty, and they bring it in later, which doesn't work. All the climate models are running far too hot anyway, but they do it in dry air. But the climate simulations, um, which uh, Happer and Wingarden, the two US scientists, did, were with moist or real air, and the conclusions, and I'd say their conclusions agree very, very closely with what's measured from outer space by satellites. So this is a validated model. It says uh, that water vapor is 75%. CO2, 25%. Methane and nitrous oxide, which is about half of all our emissions, very, very little. Trivial, nothing. And so, based on that, Jock, that 48% that all New Zealand has been brainwashed to believe is the uh, uh, animal and Absolutely nitrous nonsense. oxide. So what would it come down to if you and I had the chance of telling our politicians to put the right number on it? Well, you would put the right number, you would take methane and nitrous oxide out of your greenhouse gas inventory. The country's total emissions would be reduced by about half. And I and mean, the- we've got this stuff from the IPCC taking no notice of that, even though it's crap science, is uh, tipping uh, one and a half to $2 billion off the end of the bench every year and, and not worrying about it. So that's big numbers. And so net zero is already attained if honesty and integrity was put on the table. Yeah. Now, James Shaw says, you know, because um, it's a big part of our emissions, methane, our so-called assessed emissions, he said, oh, he's worried about reputational damage. New Zealand has um, about one thousandth of the world's methane emissions. 
we'd be the greatest heroes ever if we managed to talk all the countries, the other 194 or five countries, to take methane out of their, their uh, emissions inventories. It's a huge amount of money. It comes to nearly a trillion, trillion or two dollars, which is being paid by countries thinking about we're doing this wonderful job uh, when it's, the delu- it's delusionary. It, it is. I look at, uh, you know, you're talking of models going too hot. Every single council, even the Hiwaka Ekanoa website, their papers, you have RCP 8.5 projections, based projections every on every single government department you can think of. That's the representative uh, representative concentration pathway, 8.5, which is now... That's no, other nonsense, total nonsense. Total nonsense. That is Firmly ingrained in every council, regional council, government department, yeah. The hottest, the hottest model possible, which yep. even now IPCC doesn't refer to, but nah, we are not changing, are we? No, no, we'll keep it. Yeah, every country, most countries in the world will be that. But and, and all those reports which have been written for city councils, regional councils and government by whoever's supposed to be experts, they all have used the RCP 8.5, which um, is total nonsense. Very, very unlikely. If the IPC says something very, very unlikely, I can tell you it's got a rather minimal chance of going anywhere. (laughs) And then to complicate matters, it now changed into something called as SSP, so further modelling. It's like modelling upon modelling. Bigger, bigger computer. (laughs) Instead of getting a computer for 20 million, they spent 100 million to run a few more um, scenarios. Yeah. You know, I, I'm beginning to think this green economy is literally just green, green with the color of our dollars being wasted yeah, and nothing else right. to show for it. It's got nothing it green in terms of environmental credentials now. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, did right. Yeah. All right. You have other uh, fellow academics or at least people you worked with at that point. Is somebody else now, maybe who's someone else who might be coming to the fag end of their academic career. You left much earlier in the 80s, but are there people now coming out who might be concurring with you? Uh, yeah, there are some, but uh, a hell of a lot of people don't really want to get involved. I mean, when you when you finish your career and retire, um, it's nice to put your feet up and not do much. You know? <laughs> Go fishing, as they say. I've Go never fishing. been particularly good at that. <laughs> 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 it's interesting. I found that quote that I couldn't find from Green Freeze Peace before, and it's big dairy, big storms. I mean, I can yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, how can they say that with their mouth full? It just really annoys me uh, that these these uh, big headlines uh, have been constantly spewing out of Greenpeace for so long. But anyway, hopefully, we'll have the last laugh pretty soon. Yeah. Yes. Certainly, I hope so. Yeah. Yeah, and we will have to ultimately net zero. We can keep talking about net zero. It ultimately means means net zero economy. Yeah, what's going to happen? And 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 I've been giving various talks to farming communities over, over the last few years. Basically, uh, the science is pretty clear that humans have not much effect. But what will happen? I predict, and it's starting to happen in a number of places. People will revolt. And and I I finish my talks off to farmers and say, geez, you know, look at the French, you know, mm. you don't know how to protest, 
you know. I said, some of you have to go to jail because, I mean, politicians don't like, um, you know, f- full loads of cow manure dumped in their garden and, mm. you know, and or, or, or concrete in their drive, ready mixed concrete in their driveways and things. But, I mean, things are happening. I mean, Macron in France is backing off some of the screen stuff only in the last week. In, in Holland, the Farmers' Party has got 17 out of 75 seats in their Senate, and they know they're not there yet because they want to take 3,000 farmers out of existence to lower to lower nitrogen levels in waterways. Um, but there are huge protests, farming protests coming, and the costs are absolutely staggering uh, per family. And when people start to realise what these things are costing, um, and we're a very poor country and becoming poorer, um, mm-hmm. they might stand up. But certainly it's happening in a number of countries. My prediction is over the world would uh, there will be personal revolt will throw all these politicians out. Yeah, it's, He said, hopefully. <laughs> Isn't it unbelievable that we keep talking about net zero in New Zealand completely uncosted to mum, dad and the kids, completely uncosted, yeah. uh, and yet we keep talking like it. It's it's like almost, they, they almost give the inference that it's a zero cost to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what Jasprit and I know about uh, is in the UK, there's now a concept to talk about absolute zero. And that really is a miserable uh, future. At the same time, they're talking about absolute zero. They're talking about efficient resource use. Uh, mm-hmm. I find that um, a bit of uh, oxymoron. Mm-hmm. So uh, I know we're in a sad place, Jock, but hopefully we'll, uh, we'll remedy yeah. it very soon, very yeah. soon, because I think uh, if you look at our budget today, uh, there's there's not a lot of fat in the system, and borrowing and throwing money around just doesn't cut it. No, no, it doesn't. No. Yeah, and I mean, if you have a if you have a survey and you ask people how much they're prepared to pay per week or per month uh, to um, go into climate um, alleviating climate change, you won't get many that are prepared to put more than ten bucks a month in. As you look at what the governments are spending, it's vastly in excess of that now. And if you look at the real costs, I mean, Michael uh, Kelly, a professor of engineering at Cambridge, did a wee exercise on New Zealand, and he says we need to get anywhere near it. We need double the number of engineers, which we've got little chance of getting. They'll all go to Australia and be paid more. Um, and he came up with a figure of $550 billion by by 20, 2050, to which I have added um, $30 billion for Taranaki, Jacinda's captain's call, and that's from a, an economic research um, report done by a group in Wellington, highly credible. And then you take the cost of the reduced agricultural production, um, which we're flat out doing at the moment, you're getting to, by 2050, and added on every year, you're well over 700 billion, and you could be heading for 800 billion. Now you divide up uh, how much that is per family uh, per annum. It's a very, very large figure, mm. and the families and the voters have not got the faintest idea about that. I mean, even the Com- uh, Climate Commission said less than one percent of GDP. Um, in fact, McKinsey's said seven uh, or eight percent of GDP. 
So, I mean, these numbers, if you're serious about getting it done, um, are absolutely mind-boggling. Uh, and, and, and what for? For nothing. You for won't nothing. affect the climate. No, no, we won't. And, you know, there is no reality check like a fiscal reality check, Doc, and that's that's what we are hoping. I mean, no. not really wanting it, but, you know, it is going to come to that. So yes. thank you so much, Doc, for joining us today. We hope you can join us another time. For our listeners, we were listening to Dr. Jock Allison, who has spent a lifetime contributing to the New Zealand ag sector, and he doesn't stop. Very grateful you could join us today. Yeah, thank you very much indeed. My thank pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jock. Okay. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. Jaspreet and Don Nicholson with Greenwashed on RCR, Reality Check Radio.